Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before sunrise, Burn Dairy and Deli is preparing to fuel your day with hot coffee, donuts, muffins, breakfast sandwiches, and other morning staples. For lunch, grab a giant deli sandwich made the way you like it. Pizza, wings, wraps, or a fresh salad. Plus, something to wash it down. Then pick up dinner or a sweet treat and other pantry essentials. Now you can get your Burn Dairy and Deli favorites delivered with DoorDash. All day, every day, you can count on Burn Dairy and Deli. It's all good. It is indeed March, and you know what that means. College basketball takes center stage. And hey, it's a sport fan's dream because of the possibilities for major upsets and fascinating stories. And if you're like me, you fill out that bracket and watch the underdogs and small schools go toe-to-toe with the sports giants. It's three weeks of college basketball at its finest with the best performers turn into legends. The spectacle of March, well, it builds on months of stories about team successes and struggles. College basketball reporters understand the impacts of the tournament on the sports finances and pro prospects for players. Aspiring sports journalists learn how to tell the stories of March and more at St. Bonaventure University. SBU offers an entirely online Master of Arts in Sports Journalism for newcomers to the field. There are actually no graduate exam requirements for admission, and you can enroll with a bachelor's degree in any field. Your love of the game and drive toward innovative storytelling finds a home at SBU. This sports journalism program can be completed in less than two years with flexibility built into the curriculum. Experienced faculty teach interviewing skills, journalistic ethics, and other essential skills for success in this profession. Many students have gone on to cover sport on the big stage, including myself, Adrian Wojnarowski, and Tim Bontemps. Get in touch with an enrollment advisor today at sbujournalism.com. That's sbujournalism.com. And learn how you can become a sports journalist. That's sbujournalism.com. Hey guys, this is Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. The ML Sports Platter is back with you over all the major platforms, man. Spotify, Stitcher, Deezer, Apple, Google Play, you name it. Download, subscribe, rate, and a review. You can hit me on Twitter at MikeLSports and follow my YouTube page. Subscribe to MikeLSports there. We are brought to you by... Barks and Rec Doggy Daycare, the Allen Angus Pub, Brewerton Ace Hardware, and our great, great friends at Stanley Law Offices. Stanley Law Offices, together, they'll work to get you the maximum reward. And, oh, by the way, a huge tip of the cap. Thank you going out to friends of the platform, the Swan and Whitaker families, the Alonzo family, Daryl Abert, and Bob Lindsley. Had a chance to work with my next guest in Syracuse at a hoops game, and boy, does he do an amazing job. One of the best in the business, one of the best people you'll meet in the business, live on ACC Network and ESPN, voice of the Atlanta Falcons, and of course, SXM College. It's my guy, Wes Durham, on Twitter, at Wes Durham. We're going to dive deep into ACC basketball, maybe sneak in one Atlanta Falcons offseason question as well. Wes, how are you? What an honor it was to work with you, pal. Mike, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no doubt. Where do you think it went wrong for Syracuse basketball this year? Oh, boy. Um, I, I don't know that any one specific point would go over the other. Um, look, because I think there's some positives here. I think the year-to-year development of Jesse Edwards has probably been you know, a really good storyline. I think Judah Mintz has been terrific as a freshman. And I would uh, subscribe to the Dick Vitale plea of come back for one more year yeah. um, that he offered during the Duke game, I think. I was sitting next ago. to him for that one, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I think that uh, 
in some respect, they just got caught in the area where a lot of teams in the ACC are getting caught. I mean, you look at where they are with nine wins, and you know, you're right there with BC, who's improved. Wake Forest, who obviously has had an injury here that's cost them down the stretch. Um, you know, you're two back of Carolina. So if you want to look at this optimistically, I think you have to look at the way the games finish, you know, certainly the close games. You can talk about Virginia. You can certainly talk about the the ball game with Carolina. Um, you know, the other night and the ball game I had at Clemson last week, or I would like to think they're outliers, Mike, going down the stretch here. But really, I can't speak to it without seeing them game to game. And the, the small, um, I guess, sample size that I've seen, just a couple of different ball games. Uh, it, it's hard for me to gauge specifically where it went wrong, but I would say this: closing games and winning the close game, I think, could make a lot of difference in the way perceive the, the way people perceive Syracuse. So we're in a wild world, as you know. I mean, there's NIL, the transfer portal. You don't know sure. who's going to be on a roster year to year. For where Syracuse is as a program, as recently as two years ago, Sweet 16, Sweet 16 in 2018, even going back to their last year in the Big East, 2012-13, they've gone to you know Final Fours and Elite Eights and Sweet 16 since then, but then you've had the other part of it with the mediocrity and then missing tournaments and all the rest. For where we are fast-forwarding to March of 2023, where where do those two things I mentioned, NIL transfer portal, do they benefit Syracuse? Do they hurt them more? Like, where, where, where do those things land with you in this program? Well, for me, I think I look at everybody in the ACC collectively and individually at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm fully aware that the landscape from one school to the next might be very, might not be very congruent, right? I mean, some people are further down the NIL rabbit hole than others. Uh, others are much more comfortable working through the portal than others. I mean, so you have to kind of understand where your team is, you know, in that, in that pecking order, for lack of a better term, I guess. Um, it feels like that, you know, for instance, Wake Forest and Pitt have a pretty good handle on the transfer portal, right? Miami has done a pretty good job on the transfer portal, but it also coincides with reportedly a fairly large budget for NIL, right? Yeah. So can Syracuse find road in one of those? That would be what I would ask. Can Syracuse find a spot where, you know, they're able to do something maybe in terms of transfer portal where they can get players that fit what they want to do. See, that's the magic in Wake Forest. Wake Forest didn't have an an aggressive NIL budget a year ago and yet found Wallandus Williams and Jake LaRavia guys who were looking for a chance, right? And I think that's really kind of where Syracuse finds itself. Are you going to do it one way or the other, or are you going to do it a combination of the two? And I think that's where you have to look, in all honesty. That is, unfortunately, for better or for worse, today's landscape in college basketball. Yeah, no doubt about it. Wes Durham is with us, of course, ACC insider, and on the network doing a great job, Voice of the Falcons on Twitter, at Wes Durham. Catch him on the SXM College scene as well. Um, do you think Jim Beheim returns next year? Oh, boy. I had to ask you. I had to ask. Yeah, no, I think uh, I do, but only because so much has been talked about him not coming back. How about that? I mean, there's no logic in that answer. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm intrigued by the way this ends, Mike. I got to be honest with you. And I have been for not just this year, but for the last couple of years. Because 
when he talked with Pete Thamel this year and the article about a secession plan and everybody understands it and so on and so forth, I mean, he seemed entirely comfortable making those statements. And that's good for him. But for me, I kind of want to see what that looks like. Just out of curiosity, what does that look like? How does that work? Um, how far down the road have uh, Dr. Severud, the president, and uh, and John Wildhack gone with this, right? Because if they have, then good for them, and everybody's on the same page, and I'm interested to see that work. And because I know I, I kind of got a general feel of how it went at Duke and how it went at North Carolina, and I'm interested to see how it's going to work at Syracuse, to be honest. Okay, do any of the ACC teams – look like they could make a run in the tournament I, not win one or two but a run run a final four a championship i i look at it as almost okay duke always is pot you know can get hot because they're duke uh virginia tony bennett's so good they can they can win in a bunch of different ways carolina i still think i mean i i know that lenardi i think as of as of this recording he's got him as one of the four outs but if right. they, I don't think they're going to be out. I think they're going to figure a way to get in. And then if they're in, I don't want to play them, man. They got Baycott, Davis, Cole. I don't. They got championship guys all across the board. Is anybody a Final Four caliber team? I can't even believe I'm asking this because usually there's five or six that are out of this conference. Sure, sure. I would offer you this. I, I think the team that, um, and we're we're going to assume blind draws here, right? Yep. We don't know what the bracket looks like. Yep. I would say this, the team that probably the rest of the country doesn't want to play that will have very few matchup disadvantages to me is Miami. Hmm. And I think because you have two guards that are explosive, you have a big, albeit undersized, who's going to cause problems, okay, uh, in Norchad O'Meara. And then I think the guy that's going to be a star for Miami maybe next week in Greensboro and maybe in the NCAA tournament is Jordan Miller. Because I think Jordan Miller is one of two players this year, Mike, for me, and visiting with opposing coaches. Jordan Miller is one of the two most popular players to come up of coaches talking about who a tough matchup in the league is or a guy who's a handful that you got to, you have to address in a different way than maybe you address other guys. And Miller to me is a guy who, Probably not going to make first team all ACC. Probably should, but won't. And I think is a, a guy who's going to open up a lot of eyes in postseason play. And as far as the overall conference goes, the conference, I, I would assume that you would agree that it's down compared to most years, right? Is it is it mostly, do we feel that way mostly just because it's Carolina Duke being down? Or is it something well, else? See, I get tired of that because okay. I've seen years where, you know, Carolina Duke have not been first or second and everything's been okay. So I think the convenient excuse now is, well, Carolina Duke aren't having a great year, so the ACC can't be that good. And it's just like this broad stroke, right? Which I think is incredibly unfair to the teams like Pitt and Miami and Clemson and Virginia. And to a degree, even NC State, who's got double-figure wins in the ACC, right? Um, so I, I kind of have some issues with that. I think that what you're looking for in the ACC is you want a little bit like what we seek in football. You want two national, at least two teams that have some national captivity to them, right? Who are going to be in the top 10, top 15 all year long. And then you sprinkle in two more, and then all of a sudden you got a league that everybody fears, right? Sure. 
the other thing is the ACC is still kind of working through 20 games and coming to grips with being 15 schools in basketball. And not that that's a bad thing, Mike. I just think that the metrics on some of this stuff we're measuring college basketball success right now don't necessarily favor the ACC. I mean, we were virtually having this same conversation a year ago, and three teams went to the Elite Eight and two went to the Final Four. And I'm not saying that's going to happen this year. I think you've got one, maybe two teams capable of getting there. But I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think the one thing that does come back to me on some of this is this league is not as bad as people think it is. Um, and it's been, I mean, it's been cast off now for about a month and a half. And all anybody can tell me is the metrics. Well, the metrics this and this efficiency, that and all this. Look, I, I think from Wednesday on next week in Greensboro is going to be terrific at the ACC tournament. Um, I was doing Sirius XM this morning with Dallin Cuff, and we were talking about who's capable of winning the ACC tournament. And we went through eight names of schools. So it, your league can't be hope, your league can't be that bad or hopeless if you have eight teams that are capable of winning the ACC tournament. Because depth and competitive depth are not bad things in college athletics. They're not bad in any level of athletics, pro or otherwise. So I, I'm I'm not a uh, subscriber of having grown up in the league a little bit of how bad the league is because I've seen the league worse. Do I agree that the bottom four or five have taken the league down? Yeah, it's not good that we've got five schools 131 or worse in the net today. That's not good. And I don't need a 300 team. And I didn't need two 200 teams when I had them a week ago, by the way, either. There were three teams in the ACC 200 or worse in the net last week. Hmm. Now we've got Georgia Tech at 190 and Notre Dame at 180. But still, that was three teams 200 or worse. And that's never a good sign in the month of February for any Power 5. Okay, when you aren't working, which you work all the time, I know, but like if you're at home just flipping on any game, I don't care if it's Big Ten, Pac-12, mid-majors, whatever, do you think the overall landscape of college basketball from a product standpoint, I mean, is it it really that good? Has it gone down a little bit? You're talking about college basketball? Yeah, just the pro- yeah, the product in general. Well, I think a lot of things have led to the decline of college basketball. Um, and college basketball in some ways has been their own worst enemy, okay? Uh, I wouldn't have backed the season up. They continue to back the season up, like into earlier and earlier in November, right? Horrible. And I, there's no getting around the American landscape now when it relates to sports. The two most popular television viewed sports in America right now, the National Football League and College Football. And they got all the numbers to back it up, right? I mean, it's just what it is, right? Football is a sport that people are now gravitated to on a variety of levels. Um, And college basketball on the men's side is a, to be honest with you, it's an inconsistent product. And part of the reason is, is that the college game might never really got any kind of smooth relationship with the NBA as it relates to players. Hmm. And you look at it now and you throw in the portal and the COVID year and all the other things. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. My mom is 82 years old and loves college basketball, right? But she's become increasingly frustrated as somebody who's watched it for years at just the roster turnover, not of a specific team, but in a specific league. I mean, she follows ACC basketball like anybody else does, right? 
And, you know, I've got friends that follow ACC basketball. I've got friends that follow college basketball. And the game frustrates them because you don't know who's on the team from one year to the next. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, that's a hard thing to stomach now. And what's worse is we put our coaches, and you talk to coaches like I do, we put our coaches in a really difficult position, really difficult. And it's all the fault of the people that are involved in it. I mean, this could have been stopped by the NCAA, could have been stopped by the university chancellors and presidents of the membership, as Dr. Emmert used to call it. I mean, this could have all been stopped. We didn't have to award the year for COVID. We didn't have to award another year. We didn't have to award all these other, you know, bonuses, if you will. We could have stopped to a degree, name, image, and likeness, and the transfer portal. We could have created some guidelines. But we just went running pell-mell into all this. And now you've got a sport that, quite frankly, is suffering from a viewership standpoint. It's not that the product's not any good. It just takes you... You know, how about the coaches that tell us it takes 10 to 12 games to get an idea what your team is now, right? Yeah. They didn't have to. Jim Bayon didn't say that 10 years ago, right? Right. And to be honest with you, that's what the sport is. It takes us 10 to 12 games to kind of figure out who's playing for who and are they any good? And, oh, I, I kind of really like this guy. And, boy, that transfer is a nice player. Now, where did he play last year? <laughs> oh, but he didn't play much or whatever the case is. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a frustrating thing. The game, and I had a, a long-time college basketball media person say this to me in January, and it's exactly right. College basketball is frustrating. It's frustrating because about the time you think you've got it figured out, it just it changes, right? It's Some rule comes into play, something happens, you know, whatever the case, rule change, I, I don't know, but... Nonetheless, that's where we are, man. That's such an awesome answer. It really is. All right, quick in the final, I don't know, minute, minute and a half I've got with you. You're also the voice of the Atlanta Falcons. They've got a very, very interesting, uh, you know, uh, off season here. They got a, a bunch of different draft picks in different areas. Uh, I just saw a couple minutes ago Chris uh, Trapasso from CBS Sports. He's got the Falcons trading uh, with the Ravens to get Lamar Jackson. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. So those whispers have started. I know the Falcons have. I mean, again, they have so many picks. They have so many holes. Uh, GM cap, I don't know wh what direction you want to go here. Where would you start with them? What would you do? Uh, they've got, obviously, some big-time offensive playmakers, but goodness, Wes, they, 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 need, they need a lot of pieces. Well, they do need a lot of pieces, and I would argue, I don't know Chris very well, I don't know his, his background, but it's easy to say Atlanta's going to trade for Lamar Jackson when Atlanta needs defensive. Atlanta's been dead last in sacks or the bottom five in sacks forever in the NFL now for like five or six straight years. Yeah. And, you know, I would tell Chris as much as you need, or you think we need Lamar Jackson. I think we need defensive pass rush. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we need to solve a situation at left guard. I think you got to find a receiver opposite Drake London. Um, you know, you might, you might need somebody in the secondary to play safety. So Terry Fontenot, the general manager, and Arthur Smith, the head coach, have done a really nice job in the process, right, of figuring this thing out and and being very patient about figuring it out. And I think that's going to be critical going forward, to be honest with you, Mike. I, I, any any knee-jerk reactions, and a lot of people are going to pull the Lamar Jackson thing for Atlanta because Atlanta was one of those teams that was aggressive about Deshaun Watson a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And... We all saw, you know, where that ultimately ended. I don't think Atlanta's willing to risk their inventory for a guy who wants a guaranteed max deal who, with the exception of one year, has not made it through an entire season. 
gosh, you know, I don't know if they would have stayed up at the top of the NFL, but if they had just closed out that damn Super Bowl, I, I don't, I, Wes, yeah. I, goodness, uh, Julio makes that catch, man. It's like, dude, just run the ball, run it out. Instead, That's they, it. they gift wrap Brady. Ball, Come on, run man. Ball, yeah, Lombardi <laughs> trophy on a silver platter for Brady yeah. and them. Come on, man. Win that thing and everything maybe changes. Maybe Matt Ryan is a franchise falcon. His legacy changes. The franchise changes. It's a destination. We don't know what happens. I, Man, if they win that Super Bowl, all bets are off, Wes. They are. Yeah. It's funny. When you get to the Rubicon sometimes, mm-hmm. you don't want to go across the bridge, right? Darn right. Darn right. Well, yeah. live on live on ACC Network and ESPN, he's amazing at his job, uh, Voice of the Falcons. And on Twitter, at Wes Durham. Wes Durham, what a pleasure it was to meet you and work with you. Keep up the great work. You are incredible at your craft, and uh, hopefully see you down the line, my man. Take care, Mike. Thanks for having me. See you. Are you looking to wager on all the big games in sports? Well, I have great news for you. Our partners at BetOnline continue to get it done as the number one resource for all your betting needs, from golf to horse racing, baseball, and everything in between. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. In fact, all you have to do is head on over to the website today, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.